Welcome to Concrete Conversations, the Indian real estate podcast. I'm Akshay. And I'm Yash. And we're the hosts of the show. Today's guest is a Spanish architect based in the United States with more than a decade of experience working in India. He has also worked on projects in Europe, the Middle East, Japan, and the USA for internationally renowned architects such as Toyo Ito and Skidmore, Owings, and Merrill. A pioneer of patent-pending construction technology, a member of the Space Architecture Technical Committee at the American Institute of Aeronautics and Astronautics, it's no surprise that he has been considered amongst the 40 most relevant European architects below 40 years of age. It is a distinct privilege to be conversing with the founder of international design architectural and interiors firm, Abibu Studio, Mr. Alfredo Munoz. So, Mr. Munoz, thank you again for agreeing to join us on the show. And uh, how are you doing? How was your day going? How's your weekend going so far? Everything is fantastic. Thank you so much for having me over. I am now in Miami in the U.S., so uh, doing fairly good. Uh, no complaints at all. I miss India, though. Hopefully, I can I can travel soon. Is the is the weather good in Miami at this time of the year? Yeah, it's fantastic every time, uh, almost every day during the year. It rains a little bit uh, in the summer and it can be humid, especially starting in June until uh, September. Right. But uh, it's a little bit like paradise here. So in that sense, weather-like, no complaints at all. Very glad to hear that. And for you know our listeners who perhaps don't know about you know the breadth of your projects and the range of your projects across various countries, uh, could you give us a quick snapshot? You know, you're in Miami today, but... Uh, you've worked, uh, you've been based out of New York, you're from Madrid. So can you give us a little bit of a snapshot of, you know, your career and the, the nature of the projects and, and the countries you've worked with? That's fantastic. So first, well, I'm an architect in case uh, some of the audience doesn't know. And originally from Spain, you probably notice from my thick accent and uh, it will be more obvious in the minutes ahead. But uh, I have been in U.S. for a long time, but still accents never never change. And I had the fortune to live uh, all over the world. So I, I finished the uh, architecture very young. I was uh, living in Japan for some time. Then I came to New York and then I was living in Kuwait and then in India and, uh, and then back into the U.S. So now I go back and forth between New York and Miami. But um, in my firm, which I started 10 years ago, Avivo Studio, we are very lucky because we are doing projects uh, pretty much in five continents. So many of them are in your lovely country. We are doing projects uh, in Bombay, in Delhi, in uh, right. Chennai, in Bangalore, in Pune. So I, I used to go often before the pandemic uh, started to, to, to mm. uh, disturb so much everyone uh, worldwide. But uh, we are also doing a bunch of projects uh, here in the US and in Europe and in different locations. So that's a little bit of my background. Maybe we can go a bit more in depth later. And uh, because of that opportunity that I had of living and working in, in so many different locations, I hope I can bring a, a different perspective of how real estate is in different countries and some of the opportunities that we are uh, uh, learning by, by doing the specific architecture that might not be that conventional. Although we are all obviously doing architecture sometimes that is uh, more typical for what, what the audience might be used to. And maybe we can get into that today. Right. Uh, Mr. Munoz, given that you said, you know, non-typical architecture and different things, um, you, you have yourself pioneered uh, technologies in the temporary and, you know, prefab housing structure space. So could you tell us a little more about that? 
Yeah. So uh, again, we, we are doing all type of uh, architecture. So we are doing very large scale projects, even townships and uh, standard large residential or mixed use projects. But uh, uh, years ago, we uh, uh, got in contact with Tomorrowland, which some of you might know uh, because of the music <laughs> festival in Europe. And uh, they basically wanted to uh, find an interesting solution for a uh, rapid deployment and luxury accommodation for their spaces that they have during the festival. So we started working on how we could innovate in that space on being able to provide a temporal accommodation that was able to uh, be installed very quick and to uh, be able to be taken down without having any impact on the ground. Uh, very environmentally friendly and again very luxurious yet still being able to be deployed very fast. So uh, we were working with our teams for, for a year and a half. We developed some uh, uh, patent pending solutions into how to uh, basically provide that specific need. Uh, that led to some similar solutions for uh, emergency shelters. For example, uh, in, in Puerto Rico, when, when the hurricanes hit, we also proposed a, a solution that was very similar. And uh, we are currently working on, on some more uh, uh, solutions in that same space. So uh, all of that uh, type of uh, scenario where you need to accommodate a lot of people in areas that sometimes are not prepared with the right infrastructure, uh, these type of solutions offer a beautiful opportunity to solve a specific need. And again, be very sustainable because after you take them down, they don't leave any mm -hmm. foundation on the ground or they don't have any impact whatsoever. So I had uh, uh, Mr. Munoz uh, uh, a couple of follow-up parts on, on what you were saying. Uh, and without obviously delving too much into your patent pending, uh, you know, technology, just one is, as you said, it, it can be assembled very fast and taken down very fast. I mean, in comparison to traditional uh, temporal structures, uh, how fast is very fast when you say? So, yeah, I appreciate your, your question because it is indeed very relevant. So basically, um, on uh, solutions that can accommodate up to 1,000 people, we can erect it in less than one week. Uh, which is really fast if you compare with a traditional construction that uh, it might take up to three months or sometimes even longer, right? So uh, in that sense, it's basically all built on uh, prefabricated uh, structures and solutions. Uh, but these type of uh, structures, they're very fast to deploy, but also because they are low rise. So the, the ones that we were talking about uh, before for festivals and for events or for emergency shelters, they're up to two floors. Okay. So they don't require elevatoring system. They don't require the challenges of wind, which uh, tall structure will require. Uh, and therefore, uh, because of that prefabrication and the technology behind the connections and, and how uh, the, the, the implementation of the actual structure on the ground is uh, placed, uh, it allows, as I said, to be erected in around a week's time. Oh, that's fantastic. And, and I'm assuming disassembly is, is about as fast or, or if not faster? Oh, yes. Yeah, indeed, it takes less time. So assembly uh, average is one week. To take it out, it's up to three days. Ah, okay. So it's much faster to take it out. Two things here. One is what kind of topographies can you work with, you know, to set up these kind of structures? Does it have to be a completely flat land or, or are you able to work with, you know, varying topographies? And the second thing is, 
are there any uh, uh, perhaps you, uh, you know uh, materials that get used in such structures that actually lead to it being more environmentally sustainable yeah so that's a great point uh, in regards to the topography it requires that it's more or less flat i mean it can be like a difference of the side depending on obviously how long the the the, the, the requirements are it can have a few meters difference in height but they basically require more or less a flat uh, surface. In regards with the materials, uh, the core element is steel, which indeed is very interesting because it can be uh, recycled uh, and it can be even used from recyclable materials. So the, the steel itself, it's a, a, a solution that is very interesting because also the structural performance is very high. And one of the advantages that we have in, in one of the systems that we developed is that you don't need cranes, you can even use ropes. So yeah, you can do it without infrastructure and with labor that is not highly skilled. It's kind of like an IKEA furniture somehow, conceptually, <laughs> right? But right. instead of being as small as a furniture, it's as big as a two-floor building. Uh, do you find it's easy to adapt these kind of systems regardless of country, climate and, and sort of, you know, maybe consumer mindset, developer mindset in various parts of the world? Definitely. I see that there are two uh, different directions to look into that question. The first is the actual performance of the building. So, uh, because again, these type of rapid deployment structures, the joints are not very well sealed. So if they are proposed in areas that are very cold, the thermal uh, bridges will not be ideal. So basically, we will lose a decent amount of heat, mm -hmm. especially in areas that are super cold. So it works very well in climates that are mild or warm. The second point to consider, which is more on the back end or the manufacturing, the advantage of the steel is that it gives a lot of flexibility, but obviously we need some manufacturing of steel available in the region. So in some areas where there might not be that much of a know-how, some, again, rural areas or, or, or some countries where steel technology in construction is not that common, mm -hmm. will be a little bit more challenging and then they will require to be imported into containers into that particular location. Uh, Mr. Munoz, just wanted to ask you, given that we've just spoken about, you know, the kind of use cases and the benefits of these structures, quick assembly, no cranes required. Um, we noticed that you had worked on a field modular hospital in Angola. What are your thoughts on this as an as this application for disaster response and things like that going forward? Mm -hmm. I mean, the advantage we have in general with pre-manufacture is that a once the, the prefab solution is created, it can be implemented very quick. So, for example, uh, for hospitals, it is very uh, interesting because you can control the quality very well, uh, which sometimes in, in remote areas, uh, the quality of on-site construction is a challenge. But if you have uh, solutions that are completely prefabricated, the, uh, basically, again, it's just about how it's more like a manual of installation, but everything comes to the site completely created and all you need to do is to put the pieces together it helps for uh, uh, ensuring quality and it helps for the speed 
of implementation, which that connects with scalability. In some cases, scalability is very important because you might need to go in this project in Angola in particular, the, 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 the design was meant to be very scalable uh, and to be able to replicate the same hospital in different locations in Angola. And again, the, the advantage that we have with prefabricated solutions is that once the entire design is created and all the joints are done and all the pieces and all the elements from the construction point of view are established, then it's just about how do how how much labor you have to put all the pieces together, right? And, and the logistics that you you put as as resources. But it compresses a lot the time and it helps for scalability. Right. There is a, 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 a drawback on, a, for example, on a hospital that is prefabricated, that is the cost goes a little bit higher than building it on the ground. So you save, I mean, cost if you look at hard cost. If you actually look at the uh, time uh, value of money, then things start to make a lot of sense. Given that we're seeing a lot of uh, traction in India with affordable housing, especially on the demand side, on the supply side, uh, how do you think prefabricated structures tie in there? Because given that uh, the market is moving in this direction, do you think that this could boost the transition as well? Definitely. Indeed, we have been, uh, I mean, right before the pandemic, we were talking with some very big players in India, uh, including a section of the government to deploy some of the strategies of prefabricated to be able to scale up. As you very well know, uh, the government at Modi is very interested in uh, providing affordable housing for all and to really create uh, townships of large scale for affordable housing. And the only way to actually achieve that successfully in short amount of time is through uh, prefabricated solutions. So uh, the private sector in India is very keen into implementing some of these technologies. And uh, right before the pandemic, we were working with a manufacturer that we have worked in the past in Turkey to uh, work with our designs and their technology in order to bring it into the Indian market. The challenge though that we have is again, cost of the hard, the, the hard cost it's still not equivalent to the cost of building on a traditional model. So while you save time, which is very important sometimes when there is a, a will and a commitment to provide a certain amount of affordable housing to, uh, to a lot of people in short amount of time, still the cost is a little bit more expensive than in a traditional model. So that's where the larger amount of similar solutions that are available in the country, the cheaper it becomes. As of now, India is still not that uh, used to using prefabricated solutions for affordable housing or for housing in general. Uh, and therefore, when we were working with the teams uh, in India to analyze the numbers, still there were some areas where uh, we were not seeing that financially it was reasonable. So we were basically uh, not able to go below 1,000 rupees a square foot uh, with prefab, right? So again, the, the, the advantage of prefab is time, not money yet. Very interesting. And and speaking of, you know, like the infrastructure for pre, prefab structures, prefab housing, I mean, we see a huge example in the way China has, you know, set up uh, prefabricated structures either for bridges or even for buildings. 
you know, in, in almost, uh, they've set up almost townships in, in the span of a month or sometimes even less. How much do you think, uh, you know, uh, the government's role in incentivizing this uh, factors into, you know, uh, this sort of being picked up by the industry versus perhaps, uh, uh, you know, developer mindset in, uh, or contractor mindset, uh, you know, in terms of uh, taking the initiative to bring this kind of technology in? You are nailing it because that's indeed one of the bigger challenges. When we were discussing with some of these big players in, in the real estate industry in India, the concern was again, well, I mean, is it, if it's more expensive for me to build affordable housing in prefab than in a, in a traditional construction method, and there is not a particular uh, support or, or financial uh, help from the government and then I just do it on, on, a, on, on a traditional construction, right? But again, the problem of that is that you cannot really scale. You can do a, a project of 2 million square foot, but you cannot do a project of 10 million square foot of affordable housing in six months. And that's where, from, from what we were discussing with the, with the, the part of, of, the, of the teams of the government in Delhi, the agenda was to really push to implement affordable housing with a very aggressive schedule. And to achieve that, that's where the, the role of the government plays a critical role, uh, supporting the private sector and working with the private sector. So the, uh, the agendas of providing affordable housing for a larger amount of people happen faster. The private sector alone is not going to do it because until there is not a critical mass, the cost is again not as competitive as traditional construction. And, and do you find that the time value of money benefit that we talk about for, um, uh, you know, prefabricated construction versus traditional construction is, is, is equitable across the nature of uh, different, different projects? For example, affordable residential versus luxury residential versus maybe commercial or hospital, hospitals or hotels. Um, do you find this benefit is equitable? Uh, no, I think it depends on the vertical. So the, the advantage of a, a prefab again is that not only you save money on the interest, for, for example, if in a traditional construction is going to take you two years and in prefab it takes you one year and you have to get a 70% of the cost of construction in a loan, you are saving that interest for a year, right? But it's not only about that, it's about risk management. The amount of risk goes exponentially with time. So you do your market analysis as a developer or as a private, as a private investor, and you think, okay, I think the market is going to go in this direction. The possibility of that turning because of internal circumstances or external circumstances that you didn't project because it's impossible to project everything. The possibility of something wrong going against your analysis is higher the longer you wait. So the risk and the reduction of risk when you go and when you're able to reduce the amount of time associated with the construction is higher where in areas or in business opportunities where the um, the amount of money is substantially higher. So, for example, in hospitality, especially in high-end hospitality or in high-end uh, 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 housing, for example, where the spread is huge from the construction cost to the sales price, if there is a turn 
in the market during the time of construction, that can have a very big impact. It's basically like an insurance. <laughs> Prefabricated, it's somehow like an insurance. You know you're going to pay a premium, but you know that by paying that premium, you are going to have a less risk of potential stuff happening in your spread. Right. Um, so we've basically given the events of the last year, we're seeing a, li- a rise in flexibility everywhere, you know, from co-living to co-working to work from anywhere. So how do um, temporary structures and maybe mobile something like mobile housing or temporary housing play into this trend going forward? Yeah, indeed, it's interesting because we have been working uh, during last year on a project that is basically caravan, and we have seen a, a huge interest in what we are calling the digital nomads. Um, it's, it's happening very actively in the US and Canada and Europe and some other countries where especially younger uh, population, uh, like many maybe of, of, of our audience today, uh, they feel like, you know what, I can work remotely. I don't really need a big house. My requirements are just having nice internet, have uh, the, the, the freedom to move around and explore the world take the decisions as I go. If I decide to stay here today, I stay. But if I want to go tomorrow somewhere else, I do. And I don't have anything that is tidying me to one particular location. So there is a very exciting movement in that direction. And uh, and, and, and there is definitely a, a, a great uh, amount of interest into that space of people that are uh, willing to live in either mobile uh, environments like caravans or similar, or that are able to or are willing to move to areas that are more like temporal accommodation and the Airbnbs of the world are, are basically leveraging in the opportunity, which is structures that sometimes are uh, traditional homes but sometimes are structures that are prepared for that type of events that are in areas that are remote, that are just organized for, for tourism, uh, um, for people to come and go for a few weeks and then they go somewhere else, right? So there is an opportunity in the hospitality industry, which is huge in that space. And, and indeed, in, in India, uh, uh, there are some opportunities that are under discussion with with our team in Goa, and, and we see this going on in, in, in a diversity of countries. Again, it's not only about the mobile home, it's about the mobile lifestyle. And uh, just to follow up on this, do you think that it uh, provides additional value addition or value creation for landowners who maybe have something out of the way or something that's a little closer to nature where, you know, traditional development maybe isn't ideal? Definitely. I think that, again, this goes together with the movement that we were talking before about digital nomads. And it also is connected with younger generations realizing that accumulating stuff does not really bring fulfillment. What brings us fulfillment is experiences, right? So once we are able to be in a place that is uh, fascinating for whatever reason, and, and it can be many reasons for it, that experience stays with us forever and we don't forget it. Buying a watch is a nice thing to have after two days, you are tired of the watch, right? So many people are starting to, to give a thought about, well, do I want to spend X amount of money in, in, in a fancy a, a watch or in a car? 
or I prefer to expand it in experiences. And that connects with your answer. The question is developers or, or landowners that have areas that are more remote could hugely uh, uh, take opportunity of this movement as long as they provide the full experience. So it's not about real estate now. It's about creating unique experiences. Right. And, and that's where architects will bring a lot of value in the design. But architecture also is not only about the design of the brick and mortar. It's about creating the experiences. And I think that's where in Avivo Studio, we are being able to work very closely with our clients into creating the whole experience. So my view of architecture is that it's not about creating buildings. It's about designing experiences. And the building is part of that experience. I don't know if it makes sense to... Of, to course, no, of course, of course. Experience-based uh, things, it, it is definitely hitting the nail on the head. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Or or perhaps welding the, the joint. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Uh, in your uh, you know observations through Abibo Studios across the world and projects you've worked with, have, what are some of the markets you've noticed that have similar trends to the Indian market? And do you feel that there are any trends that can carry across from those markets to India or that you're seeing are already carrying across? I find India such a fascinating culture and such a fascinating place because it's very unique. I mean, it's from, from, from my experience, again, I, I have been living in India for a for few years and we have an office there and we have been doing projects in India for the last... Uh, uh, I, personally, I have been working in India for the last 15 years and with Avivo Studios since I started it uh, since 10 years ago. So uh, I'm very well versed with the Indian market and I cannot really relate it with any other markets that we work with. Right. One of the things that is fascinating to me is that, I mean, we have designed four entire cities. I mean, this is, as an architect and an urban planner, is, is a, a beautiful opportunity to, to create entire townships where so many people are going to benefit from our ideas, right? That is impossible to, to, to do in Europe or in America uh, because the, the scale is not there. Uh, probably I can compare it with China, despite we have not really worked in China. But the, the characteristics of the Indian market are so unique uh, in regards with the, the critical aspect of cost, uh, especially in the South with Pastu, which is so important and we are very well versed mm -hmm. on uh, the challenges. With the and now with Rera obviously bringing a lot of different attention to 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 to, to the way that the, the market is marketed, etc. Um, so it's difficult to relate. I, I could relate it with some parts of, of Latin America, but not even. But in regards with the uh, prefab, I, I don't think it's that different from uh, many parts of the world outside of Europe and, and US and Australia and pretty much China, right? The rest of the world still is uh, as a wishful thinking and some people are doing it, but still has not been a prevalent uh, construction technology that you see uh, often. Uh, and for us, I mean, after working in India for so long, it really helped us to tap really large projects at very competitive solutions. 
from the construction point of view, from the design point of view, and we are applying that to to some other parts of the world. Um, even the, the the interesting parts of of Bastu, uh, uh, which is fascinating to me, <laughs> we are even applying it in other parts of the world because we we, we feel it's very exciting. So again, the Indian market is fascinating and very very unique i think it has a lot to offer to other parts of the world and it has opportunities to learn uh, from especially on the technologies that are implemented during construction in some parts of the world that still in india might not be fully available there uh, like prefab right uh, as you said we've spoken a lot about prefabricated structures and you know changing the way things are changing here in our country and all around the world but you're involved with work outside of the earth as well right when it comes to space architecture <laughs> yes so if you could just quickly uh, let us know what that's about yeah very prefab too so uh, indeed we presented uh, very recently a, a self sufficient city on mars uh, we're calling it NUWA and uh, we work on it with uh, more than 30 top scientists from different disciplines in the world, from astrophysics to life support systems, planetary geology, uh, rocket scientists. So uh, we were the architects that were heading the, the, the design for the entire city and it's uh, meant to uh, accommodate 250,000 people. Based on the analysis that we have done in the scientific team, we believe that we, being optimistic, we might have the right technology ready to start construction by 2054. And uh, anyone that is interested can take a look into uh, internet because it's, it's basically has been published in, in all the top media worldwide. And the name is NUA. And uh, over there in, in Mars, uh, basically, the, the challenges that we had is that it was not realistic to bring materials from Earth because uh, it's not economical. So we needed to create a city with local resources. So it sounds like science fiction, but the, the actual scientists were indicating that with uh, the CO2 and with water, we are able to obtain carbon and therefore obtain steel easily. Uh, at least with with the, uh, the the resources that we have available on Mars, and we did it. We worked with for months with the scientists to identify what type of materials we could obtain by processing the minerals that are available on Mars based on current data and to create a self-sufficient city without a need of bringing anything from Earth. Not only materials for construction, but also the life support systems, the food, the energy, all of that is planned to be completely self-sufficient. The challenge of Mars is that you can only travel to Mars and from Mars every two years. Mm. There is a window of opportunity because of the orbits that every two years, there's the, you have basically a month of, of opportunity to travel back and forth. And after that, you are done. <laughs> so uh, until the next two years. So the solution that we work is to provide a highly scalable solution that the entire city is built with 12 modules. It's excavated on a rock because in Mars we have problems with radiation and right. impact from meteorites. So there are a lot of complex issues that it will be 
maybe for another uh, podcast, but with 12 modules, we are able to solve the entire city. The advantage of the modular solutions is that if you recombine them properly, you have a lot of diversity. That brings a, a key aspect of architecture and urban planning, which is identity, a sense of belonging, right. uh, which is critical also when we are working on, on Earth on large scale projects to be ensuring that we, no matter where we are in the development, it feels unique. And that is indeed one of the big critics, critics that I have about Indian large scale projects that sometimes all they do is just they design a building and then copy paste 12 buildings and <laughs> they all look the same. And, 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 and the environment around the buildings is so depressing, right? So every every project we work in, in large projects in India, we, we insist in the same, but same on Mars and same in the rest of the countries we are working. We want to create uniqueness and we need to ensure that the spaces are uh, accommodating to the people that are living there so they feel a sense of belonging and they thrive. Obviously, in, in, in a situation like Mars, it's much more complex. We are now working mm -hmm. on developing it further and working with partners to start building preliminary prototypes on Earth and learn a lot from it so we can continue exploring more. But the ideas are indeed the same. I mean, it's basically about finding solutions that are highly scalable, that are economical, that are self-sufficient and prefabrication, if done properly, has a great opportunity to link all of that. Hmm. It's just about how it's planned and how it's documented and how it's designed. You need to design the building properly, keeping in mind what all the requirements associated with the prefabrication and the scalability uh, will have. Right. Getting our basic concepts down in an easier environment. Exactly, exactly. Well, I think uh, with that, Mr. Munoz, a fascinating subject. I think we definitely might want to do an episode talking about all these fascinating things and the, these groundbreaking projects you're working on at a later date. Yeah, it will be awesome. But thank you so much. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you so much. Fascinating conversation. It's my pleasure. Thank you, guys. Thank you so much. And hope to catch up with you again very soon in, in talking about something else. If you enjoyed this conversation, be sure to follow Concrete Conversations on Instagram to know more about upcoming episodes and for some behind-the-scenes content. For more deep dives into the world of Indian real estate, stay tuned for more Concrete Conversations.